Good evening. This is Radio Free Bichelle. I'm Alphonse. Tonight, social construction. When people say that something is socially constructed, like capitalism or race, they're usually implying that in some sense it's not real. It's artificial, made of some kind of social stuff that is in the consciousness or the minds of people. But if social constructions, like race, for example, aren't real, how is it that they are so stable, they're so long-lasting, and they have such a large impact on our lives? Social things often seem to have a bigger impact and be more powerful than physical things. I'm going to talk about the answer of Bruno Latour in his book Reassembling the Social. But I'm going to start by illustrating that with money. I'm hoping that we can agree that money is socially constructed, that we can't eat bills or coins, we can't shelter under them. The question is, why does money have so much value for us? Well, we could say, perhaps, that it's because there's some kind of agreement. There's some kind of consciousness that we have that we have decided that money is valuable and can be exchanged for goods and services. So it exists, in a sense, in our minds. It's made of that kind of social stuff that other socially constructed things are made of. And a thought experiment would seem to support this. Imagine that we all went to bed one night, and when we woke up, the money was still there, but we had no recollection of what it was for. We'd forgotten what money was. Well then, it would lose its value, wouldn't it? So that suggests that its value really does come from inside our minds. But consider a second thought experiment. Again, we go to sleep. Again, we all wake up, and the money is still there. And we remember what it's for. But the banks don't exist. There are no cash registers. The tax department isn't there anymore, and the tax department demands payment in the currency, which is one of the things that forces people to use it. And we can't use the websites to buy things, because they're gone too then the money would also lose its value. That suggests that part of the value of money actually is embedded in physical things. But I'm going to go one step farther. Imagine a third instance. We go to sleep. We wake up in the morning. The money's still there. We know what it's for. The banks are still there, the cash registers and so forth. But nobody's exchanging money. People aren't making transactions, or at least they're not making many of them. Maybe it's some sort of economic crisis. Well, in that case, the value of money goes down. It goes down because it's not moving. It turns out that much of the value of money comes from its movement through the economy, what economists call the velocity of money. The point I'm trying to make is that if we agree that money is a social construction, much of that construction actually is material. It is actually anchored in real things, but not only in real things, in interactions of people and technology and things. This is my attempt to outline Latour's idea of what actually makes something social. I'll give a second example, Google and the World Wide Web. I think we can agree that Google is one of the most important, if not the most important, site on the web. I'm talking about the search engine here. What makes Google so valuable or so important? Is it the number of pages they have? I don't think so. 
There's an unlimited number of pages that Google can generate, but that's true of many sites. Is it the value of the content that Google has? Not so much, because the content is actually on the sites that they link to. It's not in Google itself. Is it all the links to Google, or the links from Google? Well, in part, the fact that Google is highly connected to the rest of the Internet is surely part of what makes it important. But the thing that really matters is traffic. If people stopped going to Google, it would cease to be important, even if it maintained all those linkages, even if it was able to generate all of those pages. This, Latour says, is what makes something social. This is what social means. It has to do with the associations of things and people and their interactions. But sociology and social science, he says, has made a mistake. Because sociology, most of it, treats the social as if it's not material. What sociologists do, he says, is they look at behavior, activities, phenomena in the world, and then they replace them with their set of categories that they already have, things like capitalism and power and oppression and so forth. And then they treat those categories as though they're forces in the world that make people do things. The extreme case he describes is what he calls critical sociology or critical social theory. What critical social theory does, Latour says, is first it replaces phenomena in the world with its its set of categories, things like racism and oppression and power and capitalism and so forth. And second, it ignores the protests of the people involved in those practices who say, hey, that's not what we're doing. And third, it takes that as proof that it's right, saying that those people are unable to face the reality of what they're really doing, and that's why they claim to be doing something else. For example, say someone says something to someone else, and the sociologist looks at it and says, that's racist, you're perpetuating racism. And the person who said the thing says, no, that's not what I intended at all. But the sociologist says, aha, now yes you are, you really are racist, and that's why you're saying that you're not. This maps one-to-one to Latour's description of how critical social theory operates more generally. But he's not making an ideological criticism. He's not complaining that their politics are wrong. He's saying that this is something more deep-seated in how the field operates. Latour says that sociology is a relatively young discipline. The natural sciences were already well-established. They were high-profile and high-status. So social scientists, when they came along, wanted similar status. And to try to achieve that, they carved out a space for themselves. Where natural scientists were concerned with the material world, sociologists would be concerned with something they would call social. And it wouldn't be material. It would be separate. This would be a special domain where they were the experts. And then sociologists went about the world studying phenomena. But they almost always studied down. They would study what at the time would have been considered primitive beliefs and myths. They would study religion. And they would reveal that what these people believed was false. And in fact, the sociologists themselves had special knowledge above and beyond. They had a kind of God's eye view of the truth. And they could inform those people 
and others as to why those people were mistaken in their beliefs and the real forces that were at work behind them. Which isn't to say that these sociologists were entirely wrong. There certainly are myths. There certainly are reasons that people do things that don't comport with the claims that they make. But the sociologists became too confident in their method. And Latour says the moment he realized it was when he saw their encounter with science. Because when sociologists encountered the natural sciences and tried to explain them the same way that they'd explained religion, they got it wrong. The idea that science is just a social construction, just a myth like religion or other myths, and that its claims to its ability to explain the natural world are not true, was a bridge too far for Latour. And when he looked at that failure, he figured that if sociology couldn't explain science, perhaps it had problems explaining a lot of other things too. It had worked when it was studying down, but it had failed when it tried studying up. Its idea of social phenomena is somehow uniquely human and existing in consciousness and thought and not actually material entities in the world effectively meant that it was inventing a metaphysics. Go too far down that road, and that's not a science at all. And it has real implications for human free will. Because if forces like capitalism or racism are operating in the world and making people do things, then people become like puppets. And because these forces are material, there's not much we can do about them. Latour says, I quote, If you have to fight against a force that is invisible, untraceable, ubiquitous, and total, you will be powerless and roundly defeated. If we actually want to change or challenge things like racism or capitalism and so forth, we actually have to understand how they exist in the material world. We have to understand what social constructions are constructed of. And Latour says that they are constructed of real things. People, technology, objects, relationships, interactions. To understand them, we need to come down from the God's eye view, down to the ground level view, where people operate, and not simply ignore what they have to say about what they do. Meanwhile, sociology and the categories it has created, things like racism and capitalism and so forth, Although they may not be abstract forces out there in the world like gods or angels that are influencing human behavior, they do in fact influence human behavior because they themselves are social constructions. And like other social constructions, they are made of things. They are made of tenure committees. They're made of universities. They operate in buildings. They're in journals. People make money and careers publishing them. They are, in other words, real but the real on a level with the things that they describe, not above them. Brought down to that level, they're an obvious target for studying using exactly the same techniques that they use on other phenomena. But Latour does caution that the categories that they use are not useless. In fact, they are very useful as descriptions, not as forces in the world. In other words, when people trade and act in markets, We call that capitalism. We use capitalism as description to capture a wide variety of behaviors that have similarities. And as a description, it's a very useful term. 
But to treat it as something that acts on its own doesn't make sense. That's like taking Adam Smith's invisible hand, a metaphor intended to illustrate the action of the market, and turn it into an actual force in the world. There is no invisible hand that makes buyers and sellers agree on prices. It's just a useful description. And these are very useful descriptions. But where they fall down, Latour says, is in dealing with new phenomena. Because when behavior changes, when interactions change, when people construct social things differently, if we stick with the same old catalog of categories, then we're going to be misled, and we're not going to understand how things happen. And, of course, we're not going to be able to change them. This is Alphonse for Radio Free Bichelle, www.bezel.ca. Good night.